I think honestly, I think f- the way they have it set up is literally the worst possible situation. And here's why. Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and overevaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect. Just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? This is the latest edition of the Sports Forecasters. I am your host, Nathan, and of course, we have Nick, as always. We had a week of like a ton of stuff happening in sports, just in the NFL. I report out there to Sean Watson, wants to go to Denver, pending everything going on off the field. Julio Jones gets traded, Aaron Rodgers holding out of minicamp, so just crazy stuff going on there. You got USA beating Mexico in soccer, which is huge for... Uh, the FIFA World Cup, and, and so many, John Rahm basically owning the Memorial Tournament and and getting ousted because of uh, COVID. There's a lot of crazy things that were happening in sports this past week, but one of the craziest things that probably many of you don't even know about, but Nick and I know very well about for uh, several reasons, is our alma mater, the Fairview Apache softball team, won the state championship this past week. So shout out to them. Cue the applause. Um, it's actually the first state championship in the entire county of Defiance County to ever win a softball state championship in Ohio. So it's 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 a pretty pretty cool accomplishment. As I said before, both of us graduated from Fairview. Nick actually teaches at Fairview, so I guess Nick just maybe tell the audience. Like I, I'm curious as well. Like what. What's been the vibe toward the end of the year? Like, was there always these state championship aspirations since the beginning of the season, or or did this kind of come later when they kind of started to realize, wow, we really have a shot at this? I mean, do you have any insight on that? The best insight I have is one of the assistant coaches. She teaches just down the hall from me, and we bump into each other, and I talk to her about it, talk a little shop with her, and see how things are going and everything, and. Pretty much their hope was just to make it to regional finals and make it through there. And after that, talking about like she was just ecstatic to make it to state. They That was where they like once they made it through regional finals, because that had been the hump they could never get to is getting to the regional finals. Once they made it through that, it was just all icing on the cake for them. So for them, they didn't have like they thought they had a chance to be a good team. It just they never knew how far they could go. And so once they made the journey over to Akron, it was just like. They played relaxed. They played loose. T- kept telling the girls, "Keep your nose to the grindstone. Keep doing what you're doing." And their closest score, from what I understood and what I kept hearing, was their state semifinal game, which ended up being a two point victory. But all the others were nine plus points in their journey. So it was very impressive. The coaches were very humble. Kept the girls very focused. And yeah, it's the first one in our lifetimes, Nathan. The last one they won is in 1989. Yes, exactly. And there's a couple things I want to point out. Speaking of that, 1989, girls basketball team won at Fairview. And someone on that team, their daughter, 
their two daughters were playing for the softball state championship team. So there's a family connection there. Uh, the t- only two girls state championship teams that we've had at Fairview is a mother-daughter relationship there. And um, actually the pitcher, the winning pitcher, is one of the daughters, Paige, um, to to um, win that game. But like like you said, they just they blew through it. I mean, they, they not only won 10 nothing in the state championship, they run-ruled them. They didn't have to play the seventh inning. It's like that's that's pure dominance. I mean, they 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 lost the first game of the season and just dominated the rest of the year. And then the the semis was their closest game, ten uh, eight. But they were going up against an undefeated team, so it's pretty remarkable. And I must say, um, this class is the same class as my younger sister, and so I've I've seen them play a lot of sports throughout you know all their years. Uh, so like when I was in college, my sister would travel with them for basketball and softball, and um, I would watch, you know, if they were playing near where I was in college or where I was working, you know, I would, I would try to go watch them. And so I watched a lot of their traveling softball team, their sliders, and I uh, watched a lot of their basketball games. Uh, they did pretty well in basketball as well. They made it to the original, regional semis or regional finals um, as well. So it's a very talented class. But it's just kind of neat to, to see that, you know, there's always high expectations, I know, for that class since since their elementary days. I didn't know what sport it would be in volleyball, basketball, or softball, where they'd be the most dominant. But it clearly, uh, softball was was that answer. So it was really cool to see that, and uh, it's just really neat, just because I know many of those uh, those players because my sister's friends with them and and um, played with them a lot. So it's really neat. But I, I this brings me to a little take that I had, and Nick and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week. You know, I've been I've been tuning into some college softball world, the World Series. And the one thing that really attracted me to this was an unranked team, James Madison University, was playing. And and I decided, okay, I'm going to tune into a game or, or two. I want to watch this team because it's, it's you know, when you look at the College uh, World Series for softball, it's 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 almost watching like a uh, college football. It's like you have the Oklahomas, the Alabamas, you know, Florida States, uh, just these marquee teams like they're the same brand teams that you would think of for college football you know it's 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 almost like a carbon copy Um, but then james madison university was amongst them unranked first team to win the college world series tournament got all the way to the semis was a game away from the championship but just watching them them play really softball comes down to one thing it's pitching and like you can't afford to have base runners in softball like once you have a base runner on, the the bases are so close together. It's like you hardly see him have a double play. Um, it's so easy just to lay a bump down because it's guaranteed a, that base runner's uh, advancing. It's amazing how much pitching is so important. And obviously with the Fairview team, like they just shut everybody out, <laughs> and that's why they dominate all the way to state championship because they just. You look at their 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 scoreboard throughout their season. It's just like they've allowed zero one run maybe two runs you know and it's just like and the beautiful beautiful thing about softball is like you're not up against the clock right all you have to do is have one good inning and have a good pitcher and you're going to win every single game james madison had this amazing pitcher i forget her name i think it was like odyssey alexander um she just they she pitched every single game that's the other thing about softball you don't have to like a five-man rotation you can have a pitcher pitch every single game and she just dominated and they, they weren't big hitters i mean you look at their they were playing Oklahoma, and you were looking at like their batting averages and number of home runs. It's just they were terrible. But all they needed was one good inning, 
and their pitcher dominated the rest, they would win like three to one. And so it was a very interesting sport. But the one one uh, one thing before uh, we move on to the next topic is like college softball is the only sport that I can think of where I feel like the girls' sport is more popular than the boys' sport. I was going through the channels and I was thinking, you know, and I don't mean this in any sort of a discriminatory way. It's just it's how the networks work. It's like a lot of times NBA is on ESPN and WBAA is on ESPN too. And so it tends to like the the male sports on ESPN, the women's sports on ESPN too. But this week I'm tuning into the softball thinking, you know, I need to go to ESPN too because historically that's how these networks have done it. But the softball was on ESPN, and the College World Series on ESPN too, and I thought that was very strange. It's very interesting. I mean, it's good for good for women's sports, of course, but it, it does seem like softball is a little bit more in college, a little bit more popular than college baseball, and um, it seems to be have more people talking about it, and it has more of a storyline. So that was just one take I had from it. I don't know, Nick, did you have a chance to watch any of this uh, College World Series for softball? Unfortunately, I haven't had a whole lot of time. I have my own kids right now in ball league. So Nathan has more of the front seat view of it. I'm just doing the back seat view on this. But speaking of college sports, let's move on to something that we're about to hear next week. And that is uh, news of the college football playoff. Um, there's talks of the expansion and we're going to hear next week, whether or not they're going to expand it. So this is an opportunity for us to do what we love to do best. And that is to forecast hence the sports forecasters. So Nick, first off, what do you predict the outcome will be? Um, will they decide to expand the playoffs or will they decide to keep it at the four teams? Well, first and foremost, for a change to happen, I believe the 10 commissioners plus Notre Dame's athletic director need to agree on whatever the new format will be or could be. And then also the current setup is contract goes to 2025 doesn't mean they can't change it before then but that's a little background knowledge for listeners here so with that all in mind my personal opinion this isn't the forecast my personal opinion a change has been way overdue i think early on when you first rolled this out having four teams your first few seasons that was fine that you wanted to get it down but year after year fans have been clamoring for a certain number of teams that be put in these playoffs because sometimes we end up with lopsided championships because maybe team x was left out or y which most of the time generally speaking i've agreed with the four teams that have made it i can't think of any off the top of my head where someone was egregiously left off i'm sure there's plenty of fans of certain universities that would disagree with that statement but for the most part i feel like they've nailed the four teams each year or at least three of the four to the question at hand what change do i see if any change i do think a change is coming their college football smells the money they saw this season that the bowl games have lost a lot of their weight because of COVID and the restrictions. A lot of the bowl games were shrunk out. Well, they don't want to lose that money. So how do we make these bowl games relevant to where people are going to tune into them? Our sponsors are going to put the money forth and we're going to fill up these stadiums because that's how you get sponsors back in. So I do believe money is going to make this change happen. How many teams, if I was to say a projection, I think an eight team playoff would be the most reasonable next step for it. And they would do it for a series of years to see when they would expand it again. I think they're going to make the change. I think there's just too much noise. There's too much money to be 
worrying about just sitting there and again building relevancy for the Bulls. I think they go to eight teams. They try that out. Maybe six teams. I could see that, but they're not going to go much higher than that. They want to make sure they get this managed first before they expand on. What are your thoughts, Nathan? Yeah, you you nail it on the head. It's all about the money. Four teams is is not. <laughs> you can get more money, right? And so that's what it's all about. Unfortunately, I I would have to admit. Um, so that's the number one aspect. But here, but I'm gonna talk strictly football here. So I think it's gonna happen because of the money. But from a football standpoint, let me give you my argument of why I think it's going to expand and why they they will decide to expand. I think honestly, I think. F- the way they have it set up is literally the worst possible situation. And here's why. If, if you're going to make it 100% subjective, which is the way it is, just go back to two teams. Because I feel like the top two teams, are number one and number two, are always clear to me. It's three through six that are not clear to me. And so we've proven in this college football playoff that not just the number one or number two seed wins. In fact, I think it's only happened once, maybe twice, of the several years we have this, where it's been one versus two in the national championship. The three seed has beaten the two seed a lot. The four seed has beaten the one seed a few times. Like the first year they had it, the four seed won it. There's been enough upsets in the 14 playoff to support the argument of like we need to expand this because if the if how successful the lower seats have been in this 14 playoff maybe we need to expand it to at least six or eight but but my issue is with four you can't you, the more teams you add you can't just make this subjective anymore and i know i know it's hard with college football because it's not like there's the nfl and divisions and there's lesser teams and it's easy to to uh, it's easier to kind of compare but there needs to be some sort of hybrid subjective and objective rating and, and seating to determine this. And so with four four teams, but there's five power conferences, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's seriously, it's just dumb because you have four spots, five power conferences. Who, who are you going to leave out? Or sometimes we put two teams and one conference in. What two conferences are you going to leave out? These conferences don't play against each other. So... You can't really compare them. So it's just all of a, uh, I think this team's better. You know, it, it's hard. And plus, teams change so much from beginning of the season to end of the season. The year Ohio State won in 2014, Ohio State lost the first game of the season to Virginia Tech at home. And then they won the rest of the games, and they snuck in as a four seed. It ended up being the Alabama and winning the national championship. It's like teams get better. And maybe at the end of the season are the best team in the league, but at the beginning of the season aren't. So, like, looking at the whole year and being subjective about it is not fair. Because if there's a team playing the best in the nation at the end of the year, they deserve to be in contention for even if they lost a one-off game at the beginning of the year. That's what I've never liked about this method and this strategy. It's like, well, you got to look at the entire, entire year. Well... Screw it. If they lost one or two games at the beginning of the year, but they're clearly dominating this year, you're going to hold that against them? They need some sort of hybrid of like subjectiveness and objectiveness. And so this is more, they're going to expand it. That's my take because of money. Simply because of money. But from how to expand it, this is how I would do it. I honestly would do six teams. And what I would do to to kind of do this hybrid between subjective and objectiveness 
you have the Power Five conferences. The winner of the Power Five conferences, like whoever wins their their conference championship or their well, however that conference decides a champion, they get an automatic bid. Just no, I, it doesn't matter what seed; they just get an automatic bid into it. Like they know they're in it, one through six seed. And then the the final spot is a completely subjective pick. It just could be anybody. It's just a it's a wild card pick. And so like the year where uh University of Central Florida, I think it's 2017, went undefeated but didn't get in the playoff. Well, they would have probably gotten to the playoff this time. Or if you have two teams that are dominating their conferences and they face in the, their conference championship and one of them has to lose, well maybe that's the year where they're two conferences will get with someone in. This one put so much more importance on each conference to get into the championship and it'll make that the conference way more competitive. That's what should happen. That I think like the automatic bids, if you win your conference, you get in this in the sixth spot is just simply a wild card spot. The one and two seeds get buys. So it's, it's, it's like what the old, um, NFL playoff schedule used to be where there were six teams in for each conference. Uh, one and two seeds get a bye, you know, and it'd be a three versus six, four versus five. That's how I think it should go. I want to argue against eight teams. I would still do the same thing. Five power five conferences get an automatic bid. And then you have three wild card teams that could sneak in. I just, they, that's just three more games on top of the, regular season schedule on top of the conference championship game. I feel like that's just a lot of games there, at least with the six team playoff, you know, one and two seeds get a bye. So if, if they make it to the championship, well, they, they play one less game, you know, as opposed to an 18 playoff, they would play that extra game. So that that's why I lean a little bit more towards six. And also because historically with the college football playoff, I feel like, three through six have always been the toughest to judge after six to me. I feel like that, you know, it's, it's pretty easy, like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, you know, they're all easy to judge. And you kind of look at them and, and they're like, okay, they're the third best team in their own conference. And they're not going to win this playoff. The second best team in a conference could win the playoff, but not the third best team. Because they're going to have to face the first and second best in their conference to even get there. And clearly they showed throughout the year that's not possible. So I, I feel like six is a good number. It's It doesn't make it too big, but it allows objectivity. It allows you to have to win your conference and to get in. And I think that's important because it brings the importance back to this the conference games and, and those rivalries. And so it brings up so much importance to those conference championship games because you get your automatic bid. It just it brings a little taste of March Madness into it, which is what it needs. Not a taste of is Ohio State going to get in? Is this team going to get in? Oh yeah, they're going to get in because they're the bigger brand. It's going to make them more money because right now it's all about money. They're just picking the bigger brand teams, and if it's like a close tie between UCF or Ohio State, they're going to pick Ohio State because they're going to. There's way more fans. It's going to make them way more money. We got to get away from that. It's That's way too corrupt. Like, make this objective. Make the teams earn it. Don't make them based off of these high executive billionaires to pick for them so they can make more money. It's just, it's silly to me. It's stupid to me. Let them earn it objectively on the field. Let that decide who's in the playoff. The seeding can be subjective. I don't care about that. But there's got to be some sort of 
incentive and not a cross my fingers and hope we did good enough and don't judge us based off our semi-poor performance of the first game of the season because we're just still kind of learning things and figuring things out even though we're clearly way better now so that's my take it was long-winded it was rough but you know they should expand it but they i just really really hope they bring some objectivity to it. That that is that is my uh, my hope, and um, and don't just simply pick the most popular teams that will make uh, the NCAA the most money. Yeah, absolutely. You always hope it's more about the competition. A lot of decisions are made by the almighty dollar, but I mean, we'll see what happens. I do hope the change happens before twenty twenty five. I think it's the time to do it. Fans have been clamoring for it. They want to see it, and. I think what they would do if they would go to eight is they would change the schedule format. Like they'd take out some of those filler games and make it more conference heavy. If they did go to eight, they back up your whole getting the power five in and then the wild card spots. Now the wild card spots would be a little tougher if teams aren't scheduling out of conference games as much. So they'd have to leave some room for that for your Notre Dames and so on, or your teams not in a major conference to give them a shot to play higher ranked teams to give them consideration for that but we'll see next week we get to find out just like the rest of you and we'll have our thoughts on it when it does come out so now we're going to move on coming back to our good old friend old reliable the big sport happening right now the nba just recently the nba released the last of their awards what were your thoughts on these awards nathan mvp wasn't a surprise um defensive player year was a little bit of a surprise to me I didn't think they would give it a go bear a third time because that's that's some elite company. Once you get it a, a third time, uh, I thought they would try to maybe find someone else to give it to, but they end up going with go bear. But the, the one I want to talk about is, is coach of the year. I don't. I always feel like there's four or five coaches that surely deserve the award. I think Quinn Snyder of Utah the Jazz deserved that award. I best best team all year. Tom Thibodeau, who won it, obviously deserves the award. Monty Williams in Phoenix, who was my pick, certainly deserves the award. But I, I, I gave some more thought on this. Talked about it a little bit in previous episodes, but I, I want to really hone in on this, this episode. The coach that I think should have gotten it, and maybe he didn't get it because he had his fill-in midseason, but it's, it's Nate McMillan in Atlanta. By far the best coach. He... he this is this is what's interesting. I want to kind of back up, you know, the storyline here. He coached in Indiana. I loved him in Indiana. I he I thought he was a fantastic coach. You know, Indiana wasn't filled with talent, but he made them a playoff team. And I mean, they were uh, the four seed last year in the bubble. They got hit by the you know the Eastern Conference champions in the Miami Heat in the first round. But you know, they ended up firing Nate McMillan, and Nate McMillan joined the staff in Atlanta. And Atlanta. They start off hot, but they slump bad, and they were down to 11 or 12 seed until they decided to fire their coach. Nate McMillan stepped in, interim coach, and Atlanta was one of the hottest teams in the league from there on out. And they went from like the 12th seed all the way up to the 5th seed to gentleman sweep, and now giving the Sixers everything that they can handle right now. Literally, like I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawks beat the Sixers and make it the Eastern Conference Championship. I know this is a, a regular season award, but Nate McMillan proved in Indiana he's a great coach. I don't know why they fired him. Indiana hires a coach, and they already fired him a year later. Well, 
You go from the four seed to the ten seed. You let go a really good coach. That's what you're gonna get. And now Nate McMillan's gonna be thriving in Atlanta. In my opinion, he deserves that job, and he deserves it for a long time. That to me is my coach of the year. I don't know. Maybe there's rules where you can't be an interim coach. You have to coach a certain percentage of games to get that award. Tom Thibodeau, yeah, you deserve it. But Nate McMillan, Monty Williams, those are my top two for for what they've overcome um, and what they you know and and what they were given. I know Tom Thibodeau. He brought in a lot of guys that he has worked with before, and that always helps. But um, Nate McMillan is my coach of the year. Go uh, being fired after taking a, a four seed uh, to the playoffs and now turning around Atlanta and literally half a season and a condensed half season to be a five seed and knock it on the door of the Eastern Conference Finals is completely remarkable. What award uh, do you have uh, Do you have an opinion on that you want to discuss? The award I'm kind of interested in seeing what's going to happen with that next year is MVP. Will we see, not that Jokic isn't a star, are the days where a marquee name winning the MVP goes to the wayside because load management is becoming a more prevalent thing with the marquee players. And when I say marquee players, I'm not saying Jokic is not a superstar. He is, but he's not a name that a casual fan is going to recognize just saying it to them walking down the street. All right, so I think load management is going to play a factor, but it, this really all depends on which one wins. So if, if load management starts to become the most popular thing around the league, then I feel like, yeah, an MVP that is on load management could happen. But if there are teams like Denver and other teams that are like screw load management, we're playing our best players every day, all that we can, then I think ultimately load management is never going to win because you're going to be like, well, we can't give it to this guy because this guy put just just as many good numbers up as this guy did. He maybe not have as big of a name as this guy, but he put up just the same amount of numbers and he played 20 more games. I mean, even though it wasn't load management, I mean, Joel Embiid was hurt, but he only got one vote, first place vote. I mean, he finished second, but he only got one first place vote. Jokic got 91 first place votes. The reason being is because Embiid played like 20 less games than Jokic. Not because of load management, because he was hurt. But I feel like not playing games, regardless if it's load management or hurt, is going to have an impact. Embiid put up great numbers. I mean, arguably better numbers. But he missed 20 games. They're not going to give it to him. I mean, Steph Curry got more votes than Embiid has the number one seed in the playoff and Steph Curry got more first place votes and his team's not even in the playoffs, but he played every game. So I, I think it's, I think it's a huge factor. So I don't think load management is going to win. I feel like this is just a, 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 a phase that clearly doesn't work in my opinion. Like, look at the Clippers. Tell me, let me know when it works. I mean, they, they should have lost that Mavs series, but it, they pulled away simply because um, the reason why I thought the Clippers were going to win in the first place, the Mavs do not know how to play defense. But I, I don't think in the end, I think load management is just a little a little fad right now. It will fade away, and hopefully we get back to where players want to play all the time as opposed to wanting to only play half the time. Right, and one of the quotes I hear from many sports analysts is, your best attribute as a professional player is availability. You can be the greatest shooter in the world, but if you're not out there in the court, it doesn't mean a whole lot. 
or you can be the best rebounder in the league. But if you're not out there, it's not going to mean a whole lot. So those are our thoughts on the NBA awards. Nathan, anything you're seeing with these Western Conference series? The Phoenix Suns look amazing. I feel like they're going to easily make the Western Conference Finals. I think the Clippers-Jazz game goes six or seven games. And I don't have a winner there yet. I mean, I know the Clippers lost that first game, but they showed something they haven't showed yet. And they, they won three of their last four against the Mavs. They lost to the Jazz the first game, but it it wasn't it wasn't a sad loss. It was something that they could build off of. So I think that game gets really competitive. I think the Suns get to have a nice long rest, waiting for the the winner of that as as the Clippers and the the Clippers and the Jazz beat each other up. And I really think at this point, it's this is the the Suns conference to lose. I feel like they're in the driver's seat right now, and um, I really like this team. And I'm rooting for them because I'm a huge Chris Paul fan. He is literally, if I had to vote for somebody for MVP, it's Chris Paul this year. I just want him to get a championship. That's kind of what that's kind of how I'm seeing the Western Conference kind of uh, unfolding here. Is uh, Chris Paul and the Suns wrap up their series pretty quickly, and they get to rest and prepare for either the Clippers or the Jazz that I think will go the distance and and probably beat each other up a little bit and, and, and whatnot. So I think it's much more important in this round to wrap your series up than the first round because when you have to go two straight series of seven games, that's when it gets real taxing on the body and really tired, especially if you're the Clippers and you do advance when you're so used to load management and not playing so many games, right? Your body isn't conditioned for this. So I like the Suns. Not much argument here on my part. Uh, Clippers and Jazz, I said early on, were, was going to go seven games with the Jazz winning. I'm going to stick with that. I think the Jazz pieced it together. Clippers, still, they showed resiliency against the Mavericks, but that was a series I felt like they were they should have had more control of early on than what they did. I think ultimately the Jazz just pieced it together and get that seventh game and advance on. And then Nuggets and Suns, like you said, the Suns are really clicking. They're really gelling. They're... They're playing well as a team. They are very gelled as a team. Not to say the Nuggets aren't. It's just I feel like the Suns have a few more answers than what the Nuggets do currently. Nuggets missing Jamal Murray is a big piece for them right now for this particular series. So I think that one goes six still. I think Nuggets make it competitive, but I think ultimately the Suns do close it. But the big thing I want to point out for these four remaining teams, this is opportunity knocking. Everyone had the Lakers penciled in as making it all the way, us included. So here's your opportunity, teams. Here's your chance to get to that final and give yourself a shot at that championship with whoever makes it in the East as well. I have Suns and Jazz in the end, and that's going to be a seven-game series. I'm going to actually go with the Jazz on that one. So with that being said, that will be a wrap-up on our episode. We talked about our alma mater winning the softball championship, dove into the college football playoffs, and then just gave our take on the Western Conference, how it's looking now that we know who made the second round. With that being said, you've been listening to the Sports Forecasters. Nathan Singer, I'm Nick Alvarez. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.